Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny, and you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing and creativity amongst life's many other demands. This week, Ali and I are together again. Hi, Ali, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. It feels like we don't get to do this as often anymore. Um, We've both been so very busy. Um, But today uh, we wanted to get together and talk talk about um, some different approaches to life writing. Yes, Um, absolutely. Both of us have approached life writing in quite different ways. Um, So maybe we should start with that, um, about what each of us, the the route that each of us chose into life writing. So Ali... um, why don't you kind of talk a little bit about the, about um, your book and the format it's taken? Yeah, um, so my first book, The Last Days, is a memoir. Um, it felt really important to me that it was a memoir, um, not because I wanted to write about myself. In fact, the very last thing I wanted to do was write about myself, which is uh, slightly ironic when it comes to life writing and particularly a bit problematic when it comes to memoir writing. But what (laughs) I did want to do was tell a story. I wanted to tell a story of growing up in what I believe to be a manipulative and dangerous organisation. And I knew from very early on that the story had to be non-fiction. I didn't know if it had to involve me or if it was going to be a more straight up investigative type of nonfiction. But I realised that at some stage, because the organisation I was talking about was one that I had been part of, I would have to kind of face up to that and come to Mm. examine that in whatever it was I was writing. And it felt to me that it would be slightly disingenuous to try and write a kind of non-fiction expose when there were other ways of exposing a religion and other ways of talking about it. And I realised that the best way of talking about it was to tell my story because my story, although the kind of specific events are obviously unique to me, the overarching story is one that I've heard time and time again by people who are part of the organisation and by people who've mm-hmm. left. So although it's a memoir, it's a way of using life writing um, to talk about something else. I don't go into the something else. It's very much a way of showing life inside an organisation. And if I had approached it any other way, it wouldn't have worked. Um I thought early on as well about fictionalising it, but I think the problem with fiction can be that people can say, well, that bit's made up and that bit's not real so that you can dismiss a story, whereas memoir has more of that impact and that clout that, well, actually, this is true and this did happen and this is my experience and this is many, many other people's experience, which is why I went down that route Um It's certainly not been an easy route and I think that I would recommend anybody who is thinking about writing a memoir about very difficult subjects, I would recommend that they went away and thought about if there were other ways of approaching that and how how keen they are to live um, with trauma and recollecting very difficult things on a daily basis for three years of their life. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think I think narrative memoir is it can be incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful, and it serves a very specific purpose. Exactly what you're saying, this idea of like telling a story that encapsulates probably quite a lot of people's experience in general, mm-hmm. even though it's very specific to you as well. Um, and mem- narrative memoir is incredibly powerful for that. But it is also, I think, some people think narrative memoir is the only way to tell your story um and there can be lots of different approaches to it as you say it's not the easiest way to tell your story in a lot of ways because it's quite um it's a really 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 vulnerable thing to put yourself in a memoir isn't it I think it is I mean for I think it depends and this is the truth with any story that you're trying to tell be it fiction or non-fiction is that there is the form that suits that story 
yeah um and you can't kind of get around that and for this story the form that suited it was memoir I couldn't tell it in any other way um and I think that's the thing it depends what story you're telling it depends how how integral truth telling is to that story there's some stories where perhaps the central point isn't to tell the truth or to expose something but if that's what the point and the key purpose of the book is then that's when it has to be something that is told in this very I think straight up and raw way and there's there's space for rawness and vulnerability um one way in which I minimized that from very early on was by treating it like it was everybody's story or a very Mm. common story so I've had the elements of my experience that map that kind of commonality instead of it being because I think sometimes this can happen with memoir that people can tell um very um in-depth parts of their life that perhaps aren't like totally suited to the structure or to the narrative Um, what you've got to do when you're writing memoir is it still has to conform to the rules of story. So it still has to have a plot. It's still got to have dramatic tension. It's still got to have desire. It still needs to have all the things that Mm, a novel has. And that's obviously what makes it narrative, is it it has the things that make a narrative. Um, And so what I did very early on was plotted a story and worked out that I was telling the story of leaving. So Mm. what parts led to that? But what that also meant that on a personal level, what I was doing was I was putting boundaries in place. So it was, these are the stories I'm comfortable telling. It doesn't mean that it was easy to revisit them. It's, It's still hard to revisit them, but these are the things that I am comfortable sharing with people. These are the things that I'm comfortable having people know. And these are the things also really importantly that I'm comfortable being questioned about as well. Mm. These These are the things that are kind of, I'm prepared to have out there. A memoir is never, ever the story of your life. It's never a complete story. It's always... Yeah, it's always a fiction to a certain extent. The events are true, but the way that you're telling it is for a particular purpose. And I think that that's really important for anyone thinking about, you know, how do you tell a life story as well as... Well, that's the thing is that you don't tell out. a life story. Exactly. <laughs> Generally, you, you tell don't. A story. You, you tell a story about a life um, and not the story of a life. And that's the thing, isn't it, That's um, that's... Sometimes I think tricky for perhaps somebody new to it, um, getting their head around this idea of what do I li- what do I put in and what do I leave out? And mm-hmm. the only way to know the answer to that is to really know the point of the story you're trying to tell. Exactly. Um, and it's not to tell everything. It's to tell a very specific story. Um, yeah. And as soon as you can figure out what that specific story is, then you know what to leave in and what um, and what to leave out. Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting because I have done quite a lot of life writing, but I had decided not to write a memoir. So it is really, it's interesting to hear you talking about how your story had to be a memoir. And I decided very much very early on that I, mine definitely was not going to be a memoir. Um, but I'm, but not because I'm not comfortable um, doing life writing. I really love life writing, actually. I find it really fascinating and interesting. Um but because I decided that my, I wasn't interested in my story, my particular story, particularly, I was really interested in my story and how it sat in the context of a wider story. And so for me, it came down to what do I want to spend a couple of years of my life writing? And I didn't want to write about me for a couple of years. I was really interested in, um, talking to other people about their stories, about telling other people's stories and about understanding the con- the kind of social political context within which these stories were happening. Um, and so that's what it came down to for me. It was that I, that's what I wanted to spend my time doing, not just writing about myself. Um, although I was happy to include myself within those stories, but I very much see my book, which is narrative nonfiction as being, um, I'm a part of it. I'm like, I'm, I'm a piece of that puzzle, but 
but I'm not the whole piece. Um, and yeah, I think it just really came down to what I was interested in. And I think that's a really important thing to remember when you're starting out on a big project is that you're the one that has to do all the work. So you better be interested in following through with it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's the thing is um, I have got, um, I've loved writing the last days. And I think the challenge of memoir is how you make the personal universal and mm. these points at which, um, particularly perhaps the points in your life when you feel isolated or the more difficult points in your life, that these, are, these aren't situational. I, I'm not the only person who's been lonely. I'm not the only person who've lost something. Um, mm. But that loneliness or that loss or these difficult things can become positive experiences when you transfer them to the page because there's going to be someone reading your book at two in the morning at some stage who's felt that too there's someone who picks that book up for a reason um and that felt really important to me that it it's never just your story it's never just a memoir it's always more than that and I think that that's kind of um the power of memoir but certainly because books take so long to write and because there's so much revision and there's so much going back to it that you can get a little bit bored of your own company if you're writing a memoir. And that's certainly been the last few months for me is I'm very much looking forward to um, looking out again. There's a lot of looking in and there's a lot of yeah. looking back and lots of dredging through things. And that can be really powerful and really useful, but you get to a point where you just go, right, I don't want to do this again. Um, so yeah, I think you do have to think, am I prepared to sit in my own company, the company of the past, the company of people I maybe don't want to be with for the next three years? If the answer is yes, that's just super. Just go ahead with it. If the answer isn't, then maybe just write a diary for a bit. And yeah, cause I love your approach of, you know, this thing's happened to me, but it's made me really interested in the social justice and people who fall through the cracks and using my story to tell other people's stories. I think that's a really powerful um, way life writing can operate as well, that it's, it's a way into looking at other people and it's a way of talking about something that isn't limited to talking about yourself, but sometimes you can use yourself as a way of talking about something too. So yes, yeah. both these yeah. things. Definitely. Work. And I certainly did write a lot about myself in my book, which was um, interesting. It's really interesting and a really kind of um, a quite a powerful exercise in a way to kind of be able to form narratives from your own story is a really interesting and powerful thing to be able to do for yourself mm-hmm. um uh but interestingly both of us were just saying before this call that we're not sure we'll we'll do it again <laughs> um I don't think I mean like touch wood and you never know what's going to happen in life yeah um but I had a particularly shit story to tell basically yeah that needed to be told and I love life writing and I love nonfiction and I love forgotten stories and I love um, voiceless people as well. I think that's partly why I wrote this book is why I wrote The Last Days is now I'm realising that I was very much driven to give voice to an untold story. It wasn't about finding my voice. It was about voicing what was happening to millions of people that was the point it's still Mm -hmm. the point um but yeah I don't think I can ever see myself writing straight memoir again I just yeah I'm sick of me I'm sick of spending time (laughs) with myself I want to have obsessions I want to be like in archives and libraries and being really like I wanted me to research and when I wrote the memoir I didn't mean to research it because I knew it you just had to mine inwards yeah this is the thing isn't it like I I actually do love life writing and I can totally see myself doing more life writing, but I don't know if I'll ever write a straight memoir, you know, partly because I really don't want anything more 
major to happen to me that is interesting enough for a memoir. <laughs> no, I'm the same. I'm like, please don't give me, like, please quite, like, not quite, give me. Quiet life yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly the same. I, I don't yeah. want memoir material. And I'm also hyper aware um, of uh, privacy and children and I'm yes. very much I'm very opposed to um writing about my kids it's just a personal choice that I don't write about them and I don't talk about them because it's not their fault but this is my job basically <laughs> it's where I'm at um my eldest is in the book because she needed to be but you wouldn't know her from the book there's no like stories about her she she operates almost like a cipher in the book she's not um fleshed out in any way and I, I kind of feel like yeah I've I've given that book that's enough and now I'm gonna go and get geeky and have some fun basically <laughs> yeah so I wanted to talk a bit about other kinds of approaches because you know what you and I have done is it's also not not really the only way of doing it and I mean, I think one one way of approaching life writing now, which I'm finding so interesting and seems to be perhaps more popular now than it was, was was the essay. Um, and, you know, whether that's within collections or um, within a book or, or published in other sorts of places. But um, but I love memoir essays because I feel like it's such a perfect format for be to be able to really deeply explore um some very specific aspect of your life some very perhaps a very specific incident or a very specific theme within your life um and I've read so many good essays and essay collections lately um and it's it can be such a I guess a kind of um freeing format um like I've loved these um Daunt books are publishing these collections now which are all around a topic and they're all different writers um, from all different genres talking about one specific topic. Um, one of them, I think the first one they did was about swimming at Hampstead Ladies Pond. And they're all they're all an essay about swimming in that pond. And every single one of them is so different. And what all of these women have gained from this swimming and what they've processed and what they've thought about and what it's given to them is all so completely different. And it's such a brilliant way of um, approaching a topic. Um, and another one that they they published called In the Kitchen, which I absolutely love. And it's all, um, not all food writers, actually, all kinds of writers, but some food writers talking about kitchens and stories that have come out of kitchens. And they're just so incredible. Um, so I do love the essay for being able to approach something really, 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 really specific and not necessarily a whole book's worth. I love essays too. I've read um a lot of essay collections. It was funnily enough an essay that led to me writing The Last Days. So it's an essay by John Jeremiah Sullivan. And he is like, if you like essays, he's master of the form. Um, and it was an essay called On This Rock in which he goes to visit a Christian rock festival. And he is talking about um, people loving Christian rock and teenagers being drawn to it and all sorts of things. And then he kind of does this incredible switch halfway through the essay where he confesses that he was a Christian God lover and he was kind of converted to Christianity when he was at school and that he would have been one of the ones at this festival. And it's such a clever way in. It's very, very smart. And there's also a book coming out. Um, don't know if the rights are sold here or not, but it's an essay collection about um, leaving the witnesses so it's quite funny that there's someone else who's approached the exact same topic that I've turned into mm -hmm. a memoir that they are building into an essay collection I know it's out on Penguin Canada in 2023 mm -hmm. yes yeah. so um, and I think that that's really interesting that you can have all these different ways of looking at it but I think maybe one of the common misconceptions is when people see the phrase life writing they think that that means writing about themselves but that's not how it works it's writing about life and so there's mm. so many different ways that you can write about life it doesn't have to be um your life and I think that that's what's so clever with an essay is it, it, that's really when the personal can become universal because you use the personal as this kind of routine but it opens into something much larger and much yeah. bigger 
and that's what I I think is amazing about essays and there's so um I read quite a lot of psychogeography I actually funnily enough the book I was going to recommend is the psychogeography collection and um and again that's a way of using kind of the psychogeographer is is the is the figure who goes and does something but they find out something and shed like this new way of seeing onto something else which I think is is quite clever and is is something that I that's an element of life writing that I really love and I think mm. has so much potential yeah and, yeah and sort of I guess in a similar vein you know um some other life writers that I really admire like Sinead Gleason whose essay collection Constellations is deeply personal in some ways but she also brings in visual art um and different lots of different aspects into these essays um so it's it's both it somehow balances this deeply personal things which are a lot to do with her body and things that have mm-hmm. gone wrong with her body over her lifetime but also to do with how she interacts with the world um including art and other writers and things like that as well but it's interesting because I think there are lots of writers now doing sort of almost mixing these genres. Um, I, I think I mentioned recently that I read A Ghost in the Throat, which does very much do that. It mixes this idea of um, of the personal with kind of biography and, and autofiction and kind of melds it together to create something completely new. And I would definitely call that life writing, even though it's she's pulling in a way from lots of genres. But, um, but it's such an interesting... Um, idea that we can just start with the idea of ourselves but take it up take it out much wider than that Mm, and I think what that kind of dramatizes is that we don't exist in isolation Um, as writers we're isolated a lot of the time because the majority of doing the work is sitting in a room on your own Um, whether you're in a library or a house or whatever you're you're still on your own a lot of the time but we our ideas and the things that we're working with don't come from inside us they come from the world outside from the wider world um and I think that that's kind of exactly what this shows is that we've got this kind of yeah nobody exists in isolation and so we're all kind of part of something else and that's what brilliant essays actually bring to the fore is that there's this kind of interconnectedness um and and also I think that the essay is a great place to explore a single idea and really get down to kind of the bones of it which you can't always do over the course of a narrative book Mm. because you've got to because it operates there's different rules aren't there there's different ways of functioning um, yeah yeah it's really interesting that a book like constellations um has such a different approach than say like a, a kind of straight narrative memoir um but the effect is incredibly powerful all the same and what's interesting i guess some some um, a memoir perhaps like i am i am i am i am i am um mm-hmm. by maggie farrell does something i don't know in a way kind of similar because they are all almost all short stories. It feels to me yes. almost like a short story collection, which is a memoir, um, which is so interesting because, again, it's like exploring this one idea, this kind of one idea of hers, which is um, her all her brushes with death, um, mm-hmm. um, but all the things that we can glean from someone's brushes with death over their lifetime. Um, and it does something really different than you could from a straight-up narrative. Yeah, I think it... Is definitely way again. It's an it's a way of really getting to the heart of one idea. Whereas a memoir, you obviously have to sequence it. Um, if if it's a kind of a broader memoir that isn't themed around an idea, so a kind of a themed memoir, you can get into the bones of these, like Maggie does, of these different events, and contextualize them kind of politically as well. Whereas mm. when you're telling the story of a life, like I was and um like I do um there's kind of there's a different way of doing that is that I have to take the reader through from when I was two until I was 30 so there's a different journey that you go Mm. on um but again I think it it comes down to what you're trying to achieve as well I'm really interested in autofiction I love Mm. autofiction um because I think that that's doing something 
very interesting as well with the kind of um, very blurred line between uh, memoir and fiction or the blurred line between fiction and non-fiction, which is that uh, there is no distinction really Mm. when it comes to narrative non-fiction. Yes, you're telling the truth, but uh, the truth is always subjective the truth is always contingent to memory. There are so many different things that interplay upon the truth. And I feel that autofiction is, to a certain extent, a more interesting, more honest way of, again, talking about that. Uh, because you're, because the great autofiction writers have a lot of fun with you as well. I'm thinking right now of Rob Doyle's Threshold, which is autofiction uh the narrator's called rob and he has many adventures and they might all be true or they could all be bullshit or they could have be true and they could have not be and i like the playfulness of autofiction um i i'm less keen on the autofiction which you feel is more a way of the author not getting sued which happens <laughs> quite often when you're reading <laughs> autofiction it's true mm. but do, don't you think it's about the kind of almost like the the kind of contract you set up between between the author and the reader about what's expected of them. Um, and if you think yes. that the only reason it's called autofiction is to protect them from being sued, then somehow that makes it feel like they're not fulfilling their side of the contract. Somehow. Yeah, well, I feel like there's some autofiction, and I'm thinking here of a very well-known um, author who has written a long series of autofiction and he's Scandinavian and he's male. Um, And there's parts of his books where it's very clearly fiction because he's about six months old and he's watching his cornflakes get soggy in the bowl and he remembers what everybody's wearing and you're like, oh, come on. Um, And yet at the same time, I think that that series is a glorious undertaking and it was at the time when there wasn't much autofiction and it's a big two fingers to the idea of both fiction and memoir and and there's there's an essay in it there's definitely an essay in that and there's definitely essays being done um but yes but what I love is when the autofiction's playful yeah and I think that that again comes back to the contract when the autofiction is is almost as the reader you're you're the mouse and you feel that the author is toying with you as mm. well that they're giving you glimpses into what could be your life their life and they're also giving you glimpses into what might not be their life and that's good fun yeah. and I yeah. like it when you feel as the reader that you're being teased a little bit and you're being played with um so and great autofiction does that um and sometimes you don't always know. I think that Rachel Cusk does that um, mm. with the second place is she is recap. She's basically reworked an original memoir, not of hers. So is the auto in the fiction her or is the auto <laughs> the narrator of the original memoir, which I think is again it's really good fun and is something that you can talk about and that's what makes it literature you know that's what elevates it to the status of this is literary because there's a game afoot we're being played yeah. with there's a language game going on and then it evokes you know the ulipo and all these great things that that you can do with words and and books and and then it becomes something that's fun um is memoir fun well it's less fun i think <laughs> it's fun to read it's It's fun to read I love reading memoir um I I just I get so much out of memoir um I can't I don't know it's funny I feel like it does a really different job to fiction in a way um and I I often go through phases where I'm really 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 craving memoir do you ever have Uh, that uh no because (laughs) No, I'm over it. Um, no, I've never, to be honest, like, it's a big secret. Well, it's not a secret because I've just said it, but I'm not a massive memoir fan. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, I think I wrote one because I kind of wasn't a huge fan of the genre and I thought, well, can we do something different here? 
and whether or not I have done something different I don't know and that makes me sound like thinking up myself but yeah, yeah I was like right let's let's try and do something a bit different yeah. um but I I do understand that kind of craving because it's getting it's real stories and it's knowing that it's um yeah it's knowing that it's real and coming back to what you said about the contract with the reader um so I had as most memoirs will go through a pretty rigorous legal read recently Mm. um and there was a lot of back and forth um between me and lawyers and my editor about how we were going to approach this this truth-telling exercise that I had undertaken when legally uh, quite often you can't actually tell the truth. There's a yeah. number of uh, constraints because everybody has their right to privacy and their right to many things. And so there's many obstacles that perhaps you don't understand when you're setting out to write a memoir. These are obstacles that I didn't understand until quite recently. And one of the possible solutions that we came up with was that elements of my memoir could be fictionalised, which meant that uh, the reader wouldn't necessarily know which bits were fiction and which bits weren't true, but some of the things that had happened to me could happen to somebody else. And uh, that meant that it would have a little disclaimer on the copyright page that said some events have been fictionalized for legal reasons and that was a really attractive idea and a really clever way of getting around more knotty problems but Mm. what does the reader expect when they um, get memoir the reader expects that it hasn't been fictionalized and of course uh, all memoir to a certain extent has elements of fiction in it um, because sometimes things can be crashed together and things might have happened at different times. Yes, I think that's a really important point is that um, there is fiction in memoir. I mean, there is in the sense that often sort of things have to be compressed. Lots of things have to be left out in order to make the story cohesive and make sense and um, for there to be brevity. (laughs) Um, And in a way, where is the line? You know, there is, in a way, there is a fictionalised. There's a scene, the scene that I open my book with um, in the first chapter is, I remember that very, very clearly, pretty, I'm pretty sure, right? I'm pretty sure I remember it as I've written it. But of course I could have been melding two different times together. I was 19 when this, this thing happens that is, that I wrote about. So I could have been potentially blending two things that happened to me, two conversations with my mother together that happened within a year of each other or something like that. You know, it's possible. It was like 23 years ago. So it's possible. (laughs) Well, exactly. Cause that's the same thing in my memoir that I'm writing from when I'm two yeah I'm writing from really really early on and I'm writing from my perspective and I was quite surprised when I because I do have a really good memory and I think that that is something that memoirists all seem to have this quite like photographic conception of how things happen but certainly when I was going and looking back into the past and I would remember certain events I would realize that something that I thought had happened when I was six it maybe happened when I was nine Mm, these different things so I was trying to get the years things happened and realizing and of course in memoir you're never going to get non-fictionalized dialogue you know dialogue yeah you, you remember the gist of a conversation, but you don't remember. Yeah, the you might remember the tone and the mood and all those things, but you're not necessarily going to remember yeah. the exact words. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. But I think what what comes back is that in that it comes down to this, and it's a legal term as well. That in good faith, in good faith, yeah, everything that is in that book is true, and everything has happened. And I was quite determined that I didn't want to somehow undermine the very hard truth-telling uh, of a whole purpose by suddenly kind of introducing very and it would have been very short fictionalized extracts it really would have yeah. just been a couple of pages and I thought I know no one reads the copyright page does anyone read the copyright page apart from writers because I read copyright pages but 
yeah it was like but I was very determined that there was another way of getting around um that and we did find a solution that was workable um yeah which means that maybe I've not yeah sorry well, no, I was going to say, but this is, I think, um, I think, you know, well, next year, perhaps we will do a whole nother episode on uh, legal aspects of writing a memoir um, <laughs> with you and perhaps anyone else who fancies disclosing um, their quite um, difficult time. Um, mine was quite straightforward, luckily for me. Um, but um, but I do have another friend who's who's gone through exactly what you've you've just been through Ali which I can't talk about yet but perhaps she will come and talk about it with us at some point um but yeah it's interesting I think this is it's important to talk about because it's it really can influence how you decide to write your story um because perhaps you know you're not willing to go through these legal hoops and perhaps you're also not willing to um expose some of your relationships to some of the difficulties that might arise from writing a straight narrative nonfiction, a, a straight narrative memoir but um but so you know some people do choose to write um non-fiction instead and weaving themselves in and perhaps having parts of their story but being able to leave a lot out by yes. having the permission of other people's stories and to put them in other contexts and that can be really interesting i'm thinking of um Natasha Lunn, who's written Conversations on Love, which is such a beautiful and interesting narrative nonfiction book. Well, what would you call it? Narrative nonfiction? Um, it's it's composed, you know, largely of interviews with other people and it's all about love. But in every chapter, Natasha has written almost, I guess, essentially an essay um, about how the to- how she relates to the topic, the specific topic that she's writing about in that chapter, Um, and then follows on with interviews with other really different and diverse and interesting people about that topic. Um, And it is such a wonderful, broad and beautiful way of looking about love, uh, about how it affects her, but how it affects other people and how often and often these people are experts as well in different fields. But it is, it's such an interesting approach. Um, and I think it's the kind of book that if you're not sure how you want to tell the story that you have to tell, it's really worth picking up and reading it and looking at a, that really different way that you can tell your story. Um, and I think, this comes really down to as well as writers, you know, we need to be readers first and foremost. Um, And if you're feeling like you're not hundred percent sure if, if writing a straight memoir is your cup of tea, (laughs) then I would definitely say read, 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 because there's so many different brilliant approaches to life writing. Um, I mean, another one I absolutely love is Kathy Rensenbrink's Emmanuel for Heartache, which you know, Kathy wrote a narrative memoir first um, about her experiences with her brother who was in a coma for a very, very long time mm-hmm. um, and then went on to write this one afterwards when she had loads of people come up to her and ask her, well, okay, so what do I do when my heart is broken, when I'm going through this enormous grief? What do I do? And so in this book, she kind of weaves together kind of um, her own story, but with um, things that have worked for her things that people have taught her all these ideas about grief and kind of woven together so it's kind of a mm-hmm. hybrid non-fiction and memoir it's really really beautiful um so there are so many very very clever brilliant writers out there who have done it in lots of different ways yeah so um, like no 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 i was just gonna say i'm completely fascinated um by non-fiction um and by that kind of challenge of making something that's real and true also eminently readable yes. and read and turning as, it into story yeah yeah that's exactly what I was going to say making it read a story what I'm working on now I'm working on a second proposal and it it takes a personal story but through the telling of this personal story I discover other stories mm. um and that to me is so exciting because it's I like to push myself, <laughs> certainly um, pushing myself an awful lot. Um, and I love that, though, that it's like you can learn how to write one form. And, you know, I've done memoir and then kind of taking those skills and all those storytelling skills and applying it to something else is really exciting as well. Um, yeah, and it, it is, it's, it's such an interesting discipline. And all the ways in which our stories intersect, I suppose, as well, which mm. this 
what I'm working on now really shows that the way our stories intersect with other people's stories and the way that um, people from the past come back to you almost as ghosts insistent that their stories are told because you realize that oh I, I found this story but I found it because of another story and and you know it, it all feels like things start kind of all aligning and feeling like 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 people are talking through you as well it's it's quite wonderful it's quite bizarre but mm. um yeah I love telling stories I suppose which is just as well because that's what writers do (laughs) well that's what I think it always comes down to and you know what's so funny is that um not to put I really hope I haven't put anyone off the idea of writing their own stories um because (laughs) I I don't actually think we're talking about some of the hard aspects but um I don't actually think it is um for me I'm now writing fiction and I find that it more vulnerable than life writing and I know some people probably think I'm crazy for saying that, but I'm actually finding it um, even scarier, much scarier. And I have this feeling that if I ever, that if it ever is out there one day, that I'm going to be even more terrified talking about it publicly than um, I was about this book. And I, um, yeah. I, I'm so, I was, I am still comfortable talking about everything I put in the book. I have people ask me whenever I do a podcast, is there anything we can't talk about? And I was like, no, ask me anything. If it's in there, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, and it's been fine. I mean, you know, it's really been okay. Like I've been okay with talking about everything that's in there. And if anyone who's read it will know there's some hard stuff in there, but it's all stuff that I'm quite comfortable with now. But yeah, the writing what I'm writing now is actually scarier. <laughs> I think fiction's a funny one because I feel quite exposed to when I write fiction and not necessarily... Um, because I'm just thinking of a fiction manuscript that I'm working on. Um, not necessarily because I'm in any of the characters or because the characters relate in any way to my real life, but mm-hmm. I think that lots of the things that to to write it, you don't necessarily have to believe it. Like I believe that you can write stuff that's very contrary to your own beliefs or your own way of seeing the world, but at some things to write it, you've had to have thought it. And yes, exposing it exposes <laughs> how you can have thought, yes. which is what we usually cover up in life. We try and make sure people only know our good thoughts, but to write good fiction, you have to expose your bad thoughts. I mean, this is it. This is it, Ellie. This is exactly why it's very vulnerable. <laughs> you have to go into some dark places, uh, and exactly. everyone will know the dark places I have been. I know it's so funny, isn't it? It's like I the idea that um, you're slightly letting people into your imagination and how mm-hmm. dark it can get is quite scary. Anyway, that was massively off topic. So what I was going to essentially say is, you know, life writing doesn't have to be this huge, terrifying thing. But there are, if it is, there are so many different ways of approaching it, um, depending on what the point is that you're trying to make. And I think that's what it comes down to is that what the point, what is the point you're trying to make? And when you really know that, you will know the format that it needs it yeah needs exactly i think the more uh planning you can do early on the better it is but i also think the more myths that can be dispelled like i had so many people say to me when i was writing the memoir first of all how cathartic it must be and i did i just wanted to kill them like yeah. there's no nice way of putting it because it wasn't cathartic it was awful it was a terrible terrible thing to choose to do and I also think it was like the most masochistic thing I could possibly have done um so it's probably quite good to get that myth out of the way and secondly that it becomes this kind of outpouring like it didn't feel like an outpouring either it felt like pulling teeth but maybe (laughs) maybe I just maybe I'm not suited I don't know um but yeah I think that we have to realize that all writing is at times very difficult and sometimes if something is just pouring out you that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good either um everything needs a good edit and sometimes the more slowly it comes out the more you're editing as you do (laughs) she says (laughs) that's true and on that note um what have you been reading lately well, actually, talking of psychogeography, actually, see, I led in so nicely, I prepared it earlier. Um, <laughs> I didn't, it was a coincidence. I've been reading the English Heretic Collection, 
uh, Ritual Histories and Magical Geography by Andy Ooh. Sharp. It's published Ooh. by um, Repeater Books, and I love Repeater. But I came across Andy's work very serendipitously. I was at White Rabbit Books, which are an incredible publisher, and I've given them a lot of my money this year. So I'm going to shout out to them because they are they're great they publish loads of really interesting memoir uh and uh literary fiction they do an event at the social every once in a while i think it's every month but i'm not sure if it is so i can't say it is anyway they do this event which is run basically like a gig so there's like three acts the main writer who's promoting their book could be on first but there's like almost like two support acts which makes it great because you never know quite who else you're going to see read so I always end up buying books when I'm there because I never know like just because you hear these really interesting writers and Andy read an essay from his collection at one of their events and it was so interesting so what he does is he goes and looks at these kind of forgotten very strange bits of England and kind of through this sort of heretical lens builds a different narrative of England, shows us these parts that we didn't know anything about. And it's it's absolutely fascinating. And it's written as essays as well. So it's it's a true um, way of the personal just filling you full of so much information. You read one essay and you know so much that you would never have known before at the end of it. And it just gets your brain just going. And I think what... Um, what he does as well is he gives you the ability to look at place differently so that the way mm. that we look at place is very much um, through certain eyes that we've been conditioned to look at place or to not look at place. So we're conditioned not to kind of look at the political or to ask why it is that, you know, our streets might have dog poo and loads of rubbish on them. But when you walk around the centre of London, they're absolutely sparkling, clean and beautiful for the tourists because that's the narrative of London that everybody's to see. You know, so reading this kind of work just prepares you to look at landscape and narrative and everything in a slightly just that tweak that's needed to be more interrogative as well so yeah it's a really good book mm. I recommend how about you what have you been reading I have oh gosh Ali please tell me you've read this and if you haven't you're gonna have to read it now because I need to talk to you about it <laughs> um my year of rest and relaxation by Otessa Mafasa uh, I think it Moshe Otessa Moshe I think that's how you pronounce it um Oh my goodness. Have you read it? I've not read it. No. So it came out, I think in 2018, I think. Um, so it's a pre-pandemic book, which is interesting because it is basically about um, a very privileged young woman in New York who decides to take a year off, and basically obliterate herself with medication for a uh -huh. year so that she can rest and relax okay. um and it's and it's just it's so it's so completely and utterly compelling and fascinating um and she's just this most in a way self-absorbed narcissistic privileged young woman but at the same time you completely um are just so drawn to her and compelled by this kind of bizarre situation she's put herself in um, yeah, I just gobbled it up in like a day. I couldn't put it down. Um, yeah, it was completely, completely fascinating. Um, so is it fiction or memoir? It's fiction. No, it's fiction. I was thinking. <laughs> it sounds like it it's fiction, but it is first person and actually you never really know her name. You're very much with her the entire time. It actually does make you feel like you're going crazy at certain points. It really does. You're completely there with her. Um, and I know that might not, that might sound bizarre to some people, but I mean, I just couldn't put it down. I did feel like I was sort of slightly underwater the whole day when I was reading it. Like I was in like a whole nother world. Oh, I love um, books that do that. Oh, yeah. And it was definitely one for, one of those interesting ones for, you know, how sucked into a book can you be if you're quite repelled in some way by the protagonist? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and she is both completely compelling and repelling. And that's what's so fascinating uh, about yeah. how much I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, and it does, it does because it she really sucks you into this world. Um, and I don't know, it's funny. It's just like your what it brings up in yourself and what you think about other people and how judgmental you are 
it sort of starts you kind of questioning how you see things. It's it's fascinating, completely fascinating. That sounds um, really good. Yeah. 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 I really love um characters I like narrators that I don't necessarily like or that I struggle with that I find difficult. I really, really like that challenge of kind of of sitting with somebody who I wouldn't oh, I, necessarily I, sit with. I really want to talk to you, but I think you're gonna to have to read it just so we can have a chat about it. I think I'm going to. It sounds like it. I'm kind of on a bit of a, a reading ban at the moment because I'm so busy with my own work that I get like um I get total tunnel vision and I can't read. But I need something for Christmas. So maybe that could be like my Christmas holiday read. I think I'll <laughs> try and let myself take some time and immerse myself. Oh, well, um, yeah, that's it for this week. It was lovely for us to be chatting again after so long, it seems. Yes, it was really good. I hope we haven't put anybody off, but um, it is what it is. If you're still <laughs> determined, and if you must still write a memoir, then go and write it and see how it ends up. <laughs> but don't say you weren't warned. Don't say you yeah, weren't warned. Exactly. <laughs> You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can find show notes, including the best ways to get in touch with us, as well as any reading recommendations mentioned in the episode at nottoobusytowrite.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe. And please go ahead and leave us a little review. It really helps others to find the podcast. You can find Ali on Instagram at Ali underscore Miller underscore writes and Penny at Penny Windsor. Music and editing is by Ewan Miller-McMeekin. <laughs>